Happy Tuesday, everyone. Great to be with you. J.C. Sherbert here on ITG Daily, Inside the Gamecocks Daily. Uh, some different topics to get to today uh, on Tuesday, January 21st, 2020. I feel uncomfortable saying that. <laughs> of course, I've uh, I've been kind of complaining about how old I'm getting. I mean, Joe Cox, Mike Bobo, Thomas Brown, Brian McClendon, all players I've covered during my career um, are all assistant coaches at South Carolina. So it's uh, it's a uh, you know it's a uh, getting old days here for the Sherb. Uh, but uh, heck, I got I probably got twenty twenty five more years of bringing you guys all this stuff. So that'll be good. Um, I'll do it until I'm old and until it's time to put me out to pasture. But uh, anyway. Um, wanted to start off with uh, congratulating uh, Dawn Staley and the Gamecock women's basketball team last night. I guess you don't call them the Lady Gamecocks anymore. Uh, 81-79 over Mississippi State. Now, I got a chance to catch the game on TV in the fourth quarter. Gamecocks were behind by nine, came back and won. Very talented team. Um, you know, this team that she has this year, just from what I can see, and I'm not a women's basketball expert, I obviously – those of you that are patrons of the Lot on the Gamecocks podcast uh, get a lot of that from Keith. And uh, just to be straight up and honest, uh, if you want uh, a lot of women's basketball, uh, I would encourage you to listen to that one because that's uh, he knows it like the back of his hand. But just from what I can see, I mean, it's, it's a very talented team. And, boy, when they turn it on, shoot, and it's young. And, you know, women's basketball, you do have some girls declare early for the WNBA sometimes, but it's not – like a normal occurrence, uh, so this this could be the start of a quite a run for that group. Now I have some thoughts based on what I saw on TV about the Colonial Life Arena and the men's crowds and all that that I'm going to get to in a second. But uh, wanted to shift gears uh, quickly and not lead with a big women's basketball monologue because I really don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to that sport, other than hey, they look good and talented and they can hit shots. And uh, Boston, the interior girl, is really, really good. I mean, really, really good at what she does. And um, they've got a lot of pieces uh, in place. But anyway, so we've been talking about the 2021 recruiting class uh, for football. Uh, Big junior day this past weekend. I went through some guys, gave a little scouting report yesterday, put more on the bigspur.com for you VIP members. Um, And wanted to kind of go through it. Uh, today, uh, Georgia got a commitment from Brock Vandergriff, uh, highly rated quarterback out of Prince Avenue Academy, I believe in Athens. Local kid, staying home. Good fit, I guess, for what they're going to do with their system, though I'm kind of confused with, um, you know, uh, Jamie Newman, or I guess Jamie Newman's his name, Jamie or Josh, the Wake Forest quarterback, uh, going in there for next year. Um, obviously, that's going to be a little different uh, than what Georgia normally does. I mean, style-wise, he's different. Um, and so we'll see kind of how that works out. They got Todd Monken coming in to call the, the, the offense, which I think is a good move for them, just to be honest. Uh, I know that from a Gamecock perspective, you're like, well, just hold on to James Coley. <laughs> but uh, I don't think that was ever going to happen. Uh, Monken is a guy that uh, has been around a lot, head coach at Southern Miss, worked at Oklahoma State as an OC, worked in the NFL as an OC. Um, interested to see what he does with Newman. Um, 
he's kind of like Mike Bobo in the sense that it's a pro style and it's base with a lot of different formations and some spread concepts, which I think Georgia, that, that's what they need to do. I mean, I, I thought Chaney, Jim Chaney, was the perfect offensive coordinator for them. I don't know why uh, they sent him to Tennessee and let Tennessee get better in the play calling department, but uh, that's what happened there. Uh, and then they got a guy named Buster Faulkner they hired away from Southern Miss. Now, uh, I've got a lot of contacts in the coaching community. Um, when the Gamecocks OC job opened up, I had a buddy reach out to me and say, hey, the Gamecocks should hire Buster Faulkner from Southern Miss. He was at Arkansas State before that. Um, really good guy, good play caller. Uh, I, I think that can help them bring some ideas, mod- more modern ideas into it uh, and all that. So another good hire. Uh, for Kirby Smart. Um, so we're going to see kind of how that goes. Um, and they got Brock Vandergriff coming in for 2021 uh, to go with Beck, their freshman, uh, Mathis, who health issues, you know, we don't know what he's going to end up being in the Newman. Um, so we'll see kind of how the Georgia quarterback situation straightens out or works itself out. Uh, Mike Morgan and I on the J.C. and Morgan podcast, which is a broad college football podcast you can get on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you want it. Um, We talk about Georgia a lot, and we talk about the fact that the Bulldogs are probably one of the more intriguing teams to kind of follow next season. Uh, A lot of talk within the division that Florida's going to make a move and overcome them. Um, a lot of talk in Athens that this past year, even though it was, what, 12-2, and two, they lost to LSU and then they had the loss to South Carolina. Other than that, won all their games. was somewhat of a disappointment. Georgia fans did not show up for the Sugar Bowl, although I, I'm going to say this. I mean, you send Georgia to the Sugar Bowl the second straight year. I mean, and they're playing Baylor, so it's not like a traditional – it's not like they're playing Notre Dame or, you know, Michigan or somebody that's – you know, got a name, and that's nothing against Baylor. I think Baylor was a hell of a football team, but you know they weren't playing Oklahoma or Texas or any of those teams. I mean, you send Georgia to the Sugar Bowl second straight year, you can't expect those people to to fill it up again. Um, especially when you know Kirby Smart was hired uh, with a ten win team, inherited a ten win team from Mark Rick. He had a year of kind of transition, and then boom, he plays for the national championship. Where I mean, they're close to their ceiling. You know, I mean, there's nowhere else to go but national champions or playoffs, um, which is difficult, especially when you're in the SEC. Ask Alabama about that. They lost two shootouts this year, and honest to God, we're probably, if you were just ranking them, I think Alabama's one of the best four teams in the country. I mean, I think they're better than Oklahoma. Um, And, you know, they didn't make it. They ended up in the Citrus Bowl, and – beat Michigan pretty good so you know we'll see uh we'll see kind of what happens at Georgia but you know there's some talk uh down there about they're not satisfied or whatever and I you know I don't know as long as Kirby's bringing in top five recruiting classes and winning divisions um and they were the first program since Florida's you know Steve Spurrier's Florida teams in the 90s they were the first program to win three straight SEC since then this past year you know, so I, I do think they've made some progress. I just, you know, there's kind of the talk about the offense and all that. So they're making moves. Uh, Vandergriff was a, a player that Mike Bobo reached out to. Um, certainly familiar with him uh, and all that. Uh, I don't know 
if the Gamecocks seriously were ever in the mix uh, for this guy, uh, I do think that um, you know how it relates to the Gamecocks is how does it affect 2022 quarterback Gunnar Stockton? Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of caution everybody here and say, you know, Georgia is one of the few programs in the country that at any position they can string together five star guys. Um, you know, Justin Fields, you know, Jake Fromm. I mean, or, I'm sorry, I'm going to go back. Jacob Eason did not scare off Jake Fromm. Uh, in fact, a, a source close to Georgia that was on staff, Eason's freshman year, uh, this was 2016, said he thinks Fromm thought Fromm would beat him out eventually, and he did. Um, so Eason didn't scare off Fromm. And at least for a little while, Fromm didn't scare off Justin Fields. Now we know how that ended up going. Uh, so I'm just going to say Brock Vandergriff going to Georgia does not mean Gunnar Stockton's going to be a layup for South Carolina. It also, you know, you have other schools out there. You know, you look at Gunnar Stockton and sort of his skill set right now. And, of course, he can evolve over time. And, you know, he's a good fit at Florida. He's a good fit at Clemson. He's a good fit at Tennessee. He's a good fit at a lot of these schools. So the Gamecocks, you know, if they're going to land him, I think they need to continue to build the relationship, work their angles. And uh, if he's still uncommitted by the time the season rolls around, you know, winning some games certainly would not hurt. Um, I I think this is one of those recruitments where, you know, you're going to see some 2022 QBs pull the trigger early for different schools. Uh, I do think he will be somewhat early. But I think if he holds off, that's good news for South Carolina. And and, and let me just explain why. Because, you know, other schools recruiting Gunnar Stockton, what's the pitch? Okay, you got a great relationship with Mike Bobo. Um, You know his dad really well. You got a good relationship with Connor Shaw because you know his brother. He's the coach. Uh, And his dad built that program at Rabin County. Um, There's connections there. Uh, that will help South Carolina. But what's, what are the other schools telling them? What's Tennessee telling them? You know, what's Georgia going to tell them if he still wants it? Well, they're not going to be there. Um, and like I've continued to say, every hot seat list in the country, fair or unfair, is going to have Will Muschamp right up there. So they're going to sit there and, you know, clamor and say, ah, you, know, you probably shouldn't go. Those guys you have relationships with may not be there. They may clean house. And so – it's a different kind of sell. Um, and so I think holding off, um, waiting to see how the season goes, waiting to make sure the coaching staff is safe, um, probably means a good thing for, probably is a good thing for South Carolina with Gunnar Stockton because, you know, those are not things that you can control right now if you're the coaching staff. You know, you can control that narrative and beat back that narrative by winning football games, and there's no football games to be played. So, uh, you know, I think if the game guys do get him to commit early before the season starts, then that's a hell of a recruiting job uh, by Mike Bobo and everybody else. That's an unshakable faith uh, in Mike Bobo as an offensive coach and all that good stuff. So, you know, and that could be the case with a lot of guys uh, this year. I think that, um, you know, it's just going to be one of those deals uh, for 2021. Now, I'm not saying they're not going to have any commits or anything like that. I think that they'll, you know, hit their numbers. I think there's some guys who are probably just going to want to come to South Carolina anyway, especially in-state. Um, and so you'll see that kind of deal happen. 
uh, with the Gamecocks for 2021. But, yeah, Brock Vandergriff, that's a domino that falls for the 2021 class at quarterback. You know, South Carolina still wants to sign a quarterback in 2021, and they're in the process, Mike Bobo and Bobby Bentley, of finding that guy, um, zeroing in on that guy. Um and we'll see kind of what happens there. But the 2022 kid, Gunnar Stockton, number two player in the country for 2022 in the way too early prospect rankings. Um, you know, I, I think that Vandergriff going to Georgia helps the Gamecocks specifically against Georgia saying, hey, you know, they got, the, they got a lot of guys lined up in front of you, blah, 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 blah. I've been looking at the uh, in-state uh, class, and uh, we talked about some of those guys yesterday. Uh, and, and I tell you what, I'm you know I'm a little more encouraged than I was, and uh, I, I think that when you look at South Carolina and North Carolina, uh, and my good friend Ryan Barto uh, coined this phrase "D-line heaven," um, and it seems like each and every cycle, it's right. I mean, because there's guys that just pop up. And, you know, North Carolina, we talked about that being a, a battleground. Uh, so they're going to fight a holy war up there uh, this year, trying to get players. Um, but South Carolina, you know, you had Justice Boone from over in Sumter that popped up, and Gamecocks offered him. And there's another kid from Wagner Sally uh, named Je- uh, Elijah, Elijah, sorry, Justice Boone is from Sumter, JC, uh, Elijah Davis. Um, six listed six three six four two fifty. Had a chance to break down his film today. Good get off. Um, you know, small school South Carolina kids have a way of turning out. You go back to Levon Kirkland and, and John Abraham from Lamar. Um, you know, Gaines Adams from the, the Greenwood Christian Academy eight man football team. Uh, back in the day, Corey Miller and Justice Cunningham from Pageland Central. Um, Sheldon Brown, you know, uh, came out of uh, Louisville. And so, you know, there are a lot of success stories when it comes to smaller South Carolina schools. I mean, you could even talk about Tony Rice. And, you know, he went to Woodruff. uh, And he went to Notre Dame and won a national championship and was one of the best quarterbacks in their history. So, you know, there's something to be said, you know, sometimes about small school South Carolina kids. Um, and, and I think Elijah Davis could be that type of guy. Gamecocks have put out an offer to him. Um, again, watched his film. You know, he's been a very steady performer. Um, I'll talk about more about him on thebigspur.com today. But uh, I, I really was impressed with that. So, you, so you already got, you know, during this process of, of evaluation, you know, you, you've already got two defensive linemen in the state with, you know, Boone and Davis who I think are pretty good players. And, you know, the Gamecocks signed, uh, and I know they haven't signed Birch and Huntley yet, but last cycle, you know, you got Birch, uh, you got Huntley who came in, you got Tonka Hemingway out of Conway. Um, you got some defensive linemen, and those guys are very valuable. I mean, I've said from the start, if, if you have a good D-line and a good O-line and a good quarterback, you know, it doesn't guarantee you you're going to win a championship. But if you are deficient in one of those areas, it makes life very – you're not going to, probably against the the uh, schedule the Gamecocks play every year. You're just not going to. You're just not going to do it. If you're not – if you're very deficient in one of those two areas, and people talk about the offensive line, uh, and I'll just say, look, they had a – they took a step back this past year. 
Um, I think having Dylan Warnham out is huge because, you know, when you're when you're rebuilding an offensive line with number, you're trying to get numbers. You know, one little thing can throw it off. Now, you know, you had a kid named Maxwell Ayama out of Tennessee, very promising guy who could have been a redshirt freshman last year and stepped in and played, uh, but medically disqualified. You know, he had a medical issue, had to give up football. And so you're forced then to go with Jalen Nichols or Ja'Kai Moore uh, once Dylan Wanham was hurt. And so I, I think that, you know, when you're trying to build numbers at that specific position, when guys get ready at different times, you know, one one injury or one guy giving up football can, can hurt you, um, you know, or, or the combination of those things. Um, and, and I think brighter days are ahead on the offensive line. I, I really do. I think next year – you know, they'll go back to being probably as good as they were in 2018, which I thought they were pretty good. One of the best, uh, you know, top third, top fourth of the SEC, uh, in my opinion. Now, people may disagree with me on that, but I'll I'll take you back to the Gamecocks game against Georgia and some other – Georgia had the best offensive line talent-wise in the league. You know, so did Alabama. Yeah, Alabama's right there. And, And there were days those units struggled against good athletic defensive linemen. And, and that's just – you can't expect an offensive line to be dominant at all times uh, in this league. Now, they can't be awful. You know, like I said, you're dead. If you're deficient and awful, you're dead. Now, I don't, I don't think they were particularly good, but I wouldn't call them deficient. I would probably say average to below average this year. Some good games where they got a good push in the run game and – you know, were able to protect, and then some games where they just didn't. And, um, you know, how much was the play calling a factor, especially like against App State where Ted Roof, the D coordinator, knew exactly what was coming every play, um, it seemed. Um, they had a good game plan. Gamecocks couldn't adjust. And so how much of it was that? How much was it just getting, like against Clemson, just getting overwhelmed? Um, you know, to be determined. Uh, defensive line wise, I thought the Gamecocks took a good step. Obviously, you got to replace some guys next year. Javon Kinlaw being a major one, but you know Rick Sandage had his moments. I think Zach Pickens is going to be very good. Uh, I think JJ Enigbare. There were very few bright spots down the the, the latter part of the year. I thought Enigbare was a bright spot. I thought, you know, there were some times where he really flashed, to use that term. I'm not really crazy about the word flashed, but there were some times he, he really did a good job. Um, will he move to Buck next year? Will he be an end? What's Jordan Birch going to do? How, where is he going to start? I sort of tend to think, you know, if I were them, I would look around very quickly in spring practice and say, do I have a Buck do I have a guy that can be dominant at Buck? And if it's Enigbare, great. If it's Rodriguez Fitton, great. If it's Brad Johnson coming off a redshirt year, great. But if not, you know, and I, I, I kind of – I would start working some more traditional 4-3 because, you know, if you got Enigbare at one end and like a Jordan Birch at another or Kier Thomas at one end and Enigbare at another, then you got these two big tackles, you know, that could work. And that's in the playbook. You know, they're not – they're a multiple defense. They can do a lot of different things. Um, but that's just me. I think I would work there because if you, if, you, if you don't have a buck, you don't have a buck. So, <laughs> you know, that's just kind of uh, one of those things that, uh, you know, you got to kind of kind of look at and explore because um, I do think they have good defensive linemen. 
So we'll see what happens there. But, yes, yet another good crop of in-state D linemen that the Gamecocks need to get. I mean, you know, Elijah Davis really was impressed, you know. And, and I, I do – I don't know if I'd call it a bias – but I do tend to give small school South Carolina kids the benefit of a doubt. The doubt. Um, he's rated three stars. Twenty four seven Sports hasn't ranked him yet. But you know, how many people have been to Wagner Sally to see him? And I'm talking recruiting analysts, coaches, whoever. You know, how many people have been to Sumter to see Justice Boone? You know, I mean, it, it, and they'll see them in time. But when you're talking about an initial ranking, you know, that's kind of how it goes. So I wouldn't be worried about star rankings or anything uh, right now with, with these guys. All right, speaking of star ratings, and, and I thought this was interesting. Uh, I kind of went back and looked at all the South Carolina wide receivers, Gamecocks, that have gotten drafted since the 2000. I mentioned this on, on a previous episode, but I'm going to dig in on this now. Because my question is, who's next? You know, we've been going through this for about 20 years with this program, and people are always worried, who's going to step up? Who's going to catch passes? Who's going to do this? Um, and, and I say that hoping that we haven't reached the end of the road because <laughs> uh, there are some question marks about next year's receiving core, and I don't think the Gamecocks have great depth there right now. you got a lot of questions with some individual guys. But there's always that guy that steps up. You know, Sidney Rod. I mean, yeah, Troy Williamson leaves when Spurrier got there. He cleared early. He would have been great. You know, the next year, after a couple of games, Sidney Rice steps up, and he's a the national freshman of the year from Rivals.com. Uh, goes the next year, and then goes the NFL. Uh, and has a really good career. Sidney had a really good career in the NFL. So Rice leaves. Who's going to step up? Well, Kenny McKinley, the late, great Kenny McKinley. Um you know, all he does is become uh, the all-time leading receiver in terms of receptions, at least for a while. Uh, and so then he goes. So who's going to step up in 09 after McKinley leaves? Well, it's a guy named Alshon Jeffrey. <laughs> and so Alshon steps up. And then after that, you know, it's kind of a, the Bruce Ellington and A. Sanders show. Um, and the Gamecocks stepped up there. Well, then after those guys leave, it's Pharaoh Cooper. Uh, and after Pharaoh Cooper, there's Debo Samuel and Brian Edwards. Um, and, and so, you know, it, 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 it just kind of keeps going. You know, Debo leaves, Brian Edwards has a great year, that kind of thing. Um, I was looking at the rankings of these guys. And, and sometimes when your in-state rival does something really, really well, which Clemson, after Dabo got the job and quit coaching receivers uh jeff scott took over and i think they did as good a job of it as anybody uh, recruiting receivers and getting big time receivers in there they you know they have a lot of guys in the nfl that kind of thing um you know but they passed over some guys to take some other guys and rightfully so in some cases you know i'm not saying that they can't evaluate the position because they can, but what that does is it, it kicked a lot of guys to South Carolina. I mean, you know, Clemson didn't want Sidney Rice. Now, this was way before Dabo, um, and so Rice came to the Gamecocks. They didn't even recruit Alshon Jeffrey. Uh, they wanted Brian Edwards as a safety. They did not recruit Debo Samuel. They did not recruit Farrow Cooper out of Havelock, North Carolina. They had Bruce Ellington's cousin on the roster, and, you know, now, in fairness, Bruce was a basketball recruit, um, 
but they didn't offer for football either, uh, and they didn't want a Sanders. So, you know, you look at these guys, you know, and these are the, these are just the draft picks, and Brian Edwards will probably be a draft pick in the spring. Only two of these guys were four-star guys. That was Alshon and Brian Edwards. This is per 24-7 sports composite. Uh, and I use that because that's kind of the baseline that everybody uses. You know, if we wanted to talk, you know, some of you folks that, you know, hang everything on star ratings, you know, it'd be a much more rosy picture uh, for the Gamecocks and their classes if, if you said, okay, well, if, if one out of ESPN rivals and 24-7 – Rank a guy four stars, then he's four stars. You know, you, you don't do that. Um, you just go with composite, and I think that's that's fair. Um, Alshon and Brian Edwards only four stars, three star guys. Debo, uh, and I will say that twenty four seven sports. Yours truly, when I was doing national recruiting, I did rank Debo Samuel thankfully in the top two forty seven after I saw him at the Shrine Bowl that year. I thought he was really good. Debo Samuel, Pharaoh Cooper, three star. Some had him for Bruce Ellington, basketball recruit. Yeah, you know, Ace Sanders, solid three. Kenny McKinley was a three, dual threat quarterback. Sidney Rice was a three star, and Troy Williamson was a three star as well. So I don't know why Siri just popped on and said, I'm having trouble hearing you. I don't think I said the word Siri. Anyway, um, sorry about that with the phone. But, you know, that's uh, what? Seven, nine guys in the last 20 years that have been drafted in the NFL as a wide receiver from South Carolina, if you include Brian Edwards, uh, and only two were rated four stars or better and uh, coming out of high school. And then seven of those you know, were three stars, and then two, four, five, six of the nine you know, were from the state of South Carolina. So as we head into – you know, next season with Brian Edwards gone, you know, you got to ask the question, who's next? Who is the next guy, uh, you know, that will pop up and kind of fit this mold of the under-the-radar receiver most of the time from within the state that uh, pops up? And, and I've got a couple of uh, candidates. Uh, first and foremost, I think Shai Smith uh, is a proven player. Um, I think that as the – Offense evolves next year. I, I think that with his speed, playmaking ability, and experience, you know they're going to want to get the ball in his hands. Uh, I think he does need to stay healthy, and I think he'll be the you know probably the next guy drafted um, from Union, South Carolina. And he was a four star um, by composite. Uh, also, I'd, I'd say Xavier Leggett. Um, he was an example of a guy this year that probably needed to be coached up sooner to get his speed on the field and then at the end with Edwards hurt and everybody else hurt he you know he had to go play and I don't know that he was completely ready but he's fast and he's big um and all those of you that you know some some folks not all of you some of you you know don't want to admit a guy can get better between year one and year two and sometimes it's fair to question that you know but um Keep in mind, Farrell Cooper had six receptions his uh, freshman year, and then I think he had 69 his next year. So, uh, you know, guys get better, and, and a lot of times it's about opportunity. So I think I think Leggett is a guy that could really end up being a special player at South Carolina. People talk about speed, explosiveness, that type of thing. He's got that. 
Um, and, and I think a couple of times this year we saw it. You know, a couple of times this year it looked like he didn't know what he was doing, but uh, we saw that this year. Um, and I think Bobo, um, when he kind of evaluates the guys he has, I mean, the, the Shy Smith, Xavier Leggett, those are two guys that can fly. So those are two speedy guys. Got to keep them healthy. The other guy, um, and he's not committed yet, uh, Jakari Caldwell from Northwestern and Rock Hill. Uh, gosh, I mean, this is a guy people talk about every 6'4 receiver reminding them of Alshon Jeffrey or Sidney Rice. This is a guy that's, you know, kind of wiry like Sidney Rice was, really smooth. Um, obviously played at a, a wide-open type of offense at Northwestern, faster than you think. Uh, Gamecocks are in really good shape for him. Uh, he used to be committed to East Carolina. East Carolina did a really good job of evaluating the state of South Carolina this in, in the 2020 class. Um, I think the Gamecocks uh, really can go get him from what I've been told. You know, they really like him. Um, I, I talked to a source that's uh, intimately uh, familiar with his recruitment and says, you know, he's probably better than – you know, a lot of guys they've got. And and so here's another guy, three-star guy, state of South Carolina, under-recruited, uh, could come in and make a big impact. So, you know, Leggett, Caldwell, you know, Shy Smith, uh, I think those are the next three got to kind of have to circle, and they're all three from the state. Uh, I'll also say that I think Rico Powers – uh, is going to be a good player. Uh, I think that, you know, my comparison with him is Shaq Rowland, not Shaq Rowland when he wasn't playing well, but Shaq Rowland when he was. Um, you know, kind of that guy that's deceptively fast, big, athletic, you know, really skilled at the position. Uh, really like him. And, and then we'll kind of see what happens with Mike Wyman, who's kind of a bigger, taller guy, did not have a good senior year. Um, see if they can get him going and back to form remember he was a guy that was very heavily recruited probably if you just go with offers uh mike wyman probably had more offers uh than caldwell and powers combined you know so we'll see what happens there but i i I do think that uh sort of when you're looking at receivers and you're looking at the in-state guys uh, you got to ask who's next And, and i think you know if you ask me and i'll probably have an article about this at some point you know, those are the guys that are next. And I've been thinking about that, too, because, you know, Debo Samuel is having a tremendous rookie year uh, for the San Francisco 49ers going to the Super Bowl uh, and has been a big part uh, of what they do. He makes big plays. He's tough to stop. Uh, he's a freak, uh, I think, because there aren't that many receivers with his kind of build and speed. I mean, he is a freak. So uh, it's a shame he wasn't healthy a lot of the time at South Carolina because, you know, that guy, I mean, shoot. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, uh, you know, uh, people ask me a lot about Shrine Bowl practices I've seen over the years. And two guys uh, really jump out at me as guys that just blew me away uh, in terms of, you know what I expected going in, and what I saw, and those two guys were Todd Gurley, uh, who played running back at Georgia, he's from Durham, North Carolina, or Tarboro, North Carolina, rather, 
Um, and then Debo Samuel. And they were kind of close with each other. You know, those are both guys that going in, you know, I thought, well, Keith Marshall is the guy you got to look at at running back from North Carolina, five-star guy. Um, and then Shaq Davidson from Gaffney was the guy that was the Army All-American and all that coming to South Carolina as a receiver from the upstate. And, you know, you kind of looked out there and, you know, even in that setting, it wasn't close between he and Debo. Um, both blew me away. Both ended up being pretty good. Um, and then there's been guys over the years that have blown me away at uh, Shrine Bowl practice that haven't panned out. Don't want don't to hammer on those guys too much, not because of my own ego, but, you know, some of those guys still follow recruiting and listen to the podcast and uh, get on the big spur and all that. And I just, you know, hey, look, it, it's fine. I, I, I don't – I don't want to have any, like, retroactive disappointment talk um, unless it's a subject, you know, that, that we're going to talk about uh, here on ITG Daily. So that's uh, that's that. But, yeah, the, the, Debo was a guy that, um, wow, really blew me away uh, at the Shrine Bowl. And so we'll see. We'll see who's next. I think that uh, when you look at it, it's a, it's a situation where, you know, um, I think the Gamecocks are going to be fine if history is any indication. Uh, it just has to happen. All right, back to the women's basketball topic. So I'm watching watching the game on TV, and it, it, sometimes it's almost like two colonial life arenas. Um, and, and part of this has to do with the NCAA regional that was there last year and the crowd. Um, you know, with the teams coming in for the the first and second round, or the second and third round, which I don't know why they do that. Um, and so you sort of look at it, and and boy, everybody bragged about the venue. It was, you know, the crowd was engaging. Um, people, national basketball writers, talked about, hey, this is a great college arena. All this other stuff, um, and you can kind of see it on TV, and uh, you know, everybody's proud and happy and excited. Um, same thing with the women's game last night. I mean, you know, you watch the Kentucky game with the men, and that was a really good men's crowd. You still see empty seats, sort of low. You see a lot of blue <laughs> uh, in the stands, which, look, Kentucky's going to do that. If, if you have any kind of size of arena, Kentucky fans are going to get in. They travel. Uh, they travel for football, too, but they travel for basketball. Um and you know, it, 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 for a, a game with the men versus a game with the women, it, it's it's night and day. It, it just seems like a different arena. Now, I know South Carolina's number one in the country in women's basketball. I know they're playing a top ten team in Mississippi State, a team they defeated for the national championship just a few years ago, and a national power in and of themselves. But the women's crowds, you know, they they pack them in in the lower bowl. And it works. Same thing with the NCAA tournament. Um, but I think this is a problem without a solution because men's basketball is a revenue sport. Therefore, you do have to make revenue off the sport. <laughs> and therefore, you know, it, 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 you got to take care of your big boosters and you got to have them seats and your corporate boosters and all that. And you got to, they got to be good seats and lower bowl and all that. And, and so I just don't know what you do. Uh, I thought the students really showed out uh, for the Kentucky game, um, and I thought that was a really good crowd. I mean, it was it was pretty full. Um, 
but you got this big cavernous arena and people are just spread out all over it. And on television, which, look, a lot of recruits are watching on television, and that's kind of the perception they get of the Gamecock basketball team. It just looks like nobody shows up, or it looks like it's, it's never full and never, you know, like I said, it looks like a different CLA when the men's basketball team plays versus, you know, the NCAA regional or when the women play. So I don't know what needs to be done. I think there have been some improvements this year. I don't think this is something that you can just – you know, tack on the administration's forehead. You know, I thought the the lower level internet pass they they came out with this year was smart. Um, you know, talking to John Whittle, who's actually there, he said the crowds have been pretty good all year. Um, I just notice a difference. You know, when, when you're watching on television, which television matters because that's kind of the the front door, if you will, of, uh, for recruits watching your program. Um, you know, there's it's still there's still work to be done, you know, and, and I don't, you know, I, I'm not telling anybody to show up and use their tickets. Uh, I'm not preaching uh, or anything like that because I, I think I think some of the time, you know, those tickets are, are even like they're assigned to like a faceless corporation, <laughs> you know, or, or something, you know. So it's it's a little little different, a little bit tricky, but you know, hopefully they continue to tweak it, and uh, I think winning. Obviously, is going to help um, more people to show up, more people to use their tickets, more big games when you win. Um, and uh, I, I think the Colonial Life Arena can end up being something that uh, is a positive thing for the men's program, rather than you know, sort of the albatross at times that it's been. You know, I, I, I think the tendency to talk about oh, the arena's too big and all that. Uh, you know, certainly is valid, and certainly you can question whether you need eighteen thousand seats. Um, I'm, I'm with you there. Uh, you know, a, a nine thousand seat arena, um, something the size of the Frank McGuire Arena, uh, probably would look more full and be more loud on TV during men's games and actually, you know, on the court. But uh, it's worked for an NCAA regional, and it works for the women. Uh, so you got to find a way to make it work for the men. Uh, and I think, like I said, winning solves all. It's been a disappointing year to date with a few bright spots. And if they can have more bright spots heading down the stretch, uh, I'm sure you'll see some massive crowds out there. I mean, I, I went to when I lived in Columbia, and I think it was 08, 09. Um, maybe it was 09. It was Darren Horn's first year, whenever that was. Um, and uh, that may have been 08, 09. I'm not sure. Uh, and so Darren Horn, first year, inherits a pretty good team, really good team from Dave Odom. They win 10 conference games. Uh, they sold it out one game against Georgia, and they were trying to get a sell. They are like, let's sell it out, you know. And they, they, I think they had a sellout Georgia game. Uh, the year the Gamecocks went to the Final Four uh, as well. But uh, I, you know, I, I was there, and then the place is packed, and it's loud. It's extremely loud, and uh, it is a home court advantage. So, like I said, you know, in that year with Darren Horn, first year of a coach, turned it around. They were kind of in the mix, even though they went to the NIT. Uh, it kind of faltered at the end. You know, people were excited. And so, you know, winning does – 
cure all. Um, but boy, you got to win, <laughs> uh, and, and it shouldn't be a situation where you know, even if they're not winning to everyone's liking, that it is structured in such a way that you know it's not a burden. And I don't know what to do with it. I mean, I have no solution. You know, re reseating the entire arena would probably be an idea, but like I said, it's a revenue sport and you gotta make revenue, right? So uh and and that's the difference. You know, that's that's the big difference. All right. Show with Tony and I tomorrow. Uh also another daily report, probably a little shorter than this one. We'll continue to talk about recruiting and football and uh all kinds of stuff right here it's been a pleasure so far doing this every day talking to you guys it's jc sherbert inside the gamecocks daily holler at you soon